My name is Jeff, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard Church. And before we jump into the message for this morning, I want to take just a minute or two to talk about a really special outreach that we do here at the Vineyard Church. And that really we've done for over 35, 36, 37 years. And that, of course, is serving on Christmas Day at the nursing homes every year. When Rick and Becky Olmsted, the founders of this church, launched Vineyard Church of the Rockies. They started doing this right away, and it's continued on as one of the best ways, I think, that we serve our city. In my opinion, I don't think you can find much more of an altruistic way to serve than going to the nursing homes on Christmas Day. You essentially go in, you sing, you read the message of Christ's first coming, you connect with different folks there at the nursing home, and you do it in a way where you're really not going to expect anything in return. You're just pouring out God's love. You're just offering uh, his love in a time when, quite honestly, uh, they might not receive very many guests. And so this is a really beautiful way to, I think, serve the city to gather with your family and friends and offer something in return uh, this Christmas season. I think it's, again, one of the best ways that we can connect and and serve our city. So we want to encourage you after the service is over to go out to the the lobby. There's a sign-up counter there with a whole bunch of clipboards and little small postcards that you can take with an address, the time which we're asking you to serve. And it's a really, really great way to spend just about 60 to 90 minutes of your Christmas morning. And they all start at about 10 in the morning. So you still have time to have coffee and do Christmas, uh, do Christmas and, and exchange presents as a family and then get up and go and serve together. I think it's a great way to bond uh, with one another and to give back this Christmas season. So after the service, check that out. And we would love for you to be a part of that. All right, let me transition to the message then for this morning. As you saw, we already lit the candle of peace this morning. We lit hope last week. We lit peace this week. And in preparation of this message, I really found out I was uniquely qualified to preach the message on peace. My, you're laughing already. You can sense the tone. Um, My name means divine peace. Jeffrey means divine, and I love the meaning behind names. My wife, Natalie, and I, we named all of our kids primarily because there was some kind of unique meaning behind them that we really loved. And Jeffrey means divine peace. And so when peace came across the table, I thought I, you know, I could just preach that one. Like I just stand up and be that message, right? The the problem is uh, I come from German heritage. And so although my first name means peace, my last name, Faust, and you have to say it that way. You have to say it. Uh, it actually means fist. So I have this like inner turmoil that I've, I've been walking with my entire life, where on one hand, you have this like beautiful, eternal, ever loving peace. And if you don't like the peace, then you get the fist. We always thought, we're like, we are going to stuff as much peace into your life as we possibly can. Um, not to mention, there's a famous like German opera named after Faust and. Uh, That's a really tragic story that has nothing to do with who I am as a person. So, um, no, peace. It it was funny. We just played with that so much. None of my other siblings had names that like counteracted that. And so I was just the odd duck growing up. Um, No, this series, uh, you know, we're taking a look at the different candles. We have hope, we have peace, 
Next is joy and then love. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll gather, we'll, we'll light the center candle, which represents Christ himself. But we're not only taking a look at Advent this series, we're actually, we're taking the different themes of Advent and we're pairing them together with this beautiful song that we sing almost every Christmas called Joy to the World. And Matt talked last week about how Joy to the World was written 300 years ago this very year. It's the 300th anniversary of the song Joy to the World. But Isaac Watts didn't write the song to commemorate the first coming of Christ. He actually wrote the song so that we would embrace Advent, that we would embrace the first coming, but that we would fix our eyes on his second coming. And it makes a lot of sense because as you read the lyrics and you look at the lyrics, there are some of these lyrics that are only going to come true when Christ returns the second time and makes all things right. And at that moment, we will be singing joy to the world for the Lord has come. And so if that ruins the Christmas song, joy to the world for you. You can still sing it on Christmas. We're going to sing it probably every week here leading up to Christmas. It's a great song, but primarily it's taking our eyes and and appreciating the first coming, but fixing them on Christ's return. And so this week we're going to navigate peace kind of paired with the lyrics that point to that exact moment. And peace, when you look at our culture, when you think about our culture, just reflect for a moment, it's really an interesting concept. And we talk about peace all of the time. We talk about financial peace. We talk about relational peace, uh, peace amongst the multi-ethnic spectrum. We want to have peace and reconciliation all across the board. We want to have peace across the world with wars and chaos. And and we always talk about, it's so common, this idea of peace, that we even have different sayings in our culture, different different parts of our vernacular that mean different things when when you hear them. So the first one is that I want to share is keep the peace. Keep the peace. This is a saying that, that, uh, that we use on a time-to-time basis. And, and actually, it's more common during the holidays, right? Because we have a lot of people from our families, you know, our immediate and extended families that gather together. And we just, and we say, look, whatever you have to do to keep the peace this holiday season, don't bring up this. You can't talk about that. We don't want Susan to go off the rails when you talk about politics. We don't want Uncle Bob to get crazy when, when you talk about that classic car that his son just crashed on a runaway kind of experience, right? Like these, we don't talk, they're off limits. These topics are off limits. So whatever you do, just keep the peace this Christmas. Another one I put in quotations is world peace. And I put it in quotations because this is, this is the classic phrase that you have to use when you're getting asked a hard interview question, right? Or if you ever find yourself in a beauty pageant, you can just answer, world peace. That's what we want. And it's a beautiful thing. Of course we want world peace, but this is part of kind of our vernacular. We use this from time to time. The next one though, it's my favorite right now. And when I share it, if you want to audibly, parents, just say amen, then feel free to do it. It's the phrase, peace and quiet. Can I get an amen this morning? What I wouldn't do for five minutes of peace and quiet in my house. I can tell you that I have logged more time in my bathroom since I've had kids than I ever did before. And it's just because I'm running away from the chaos that's ensuing down in the living room. I'm not even doing anything. I just need five minutes of peace and quiet. Please, dear God, this Christmas season. Huh. That's why we light the candle. 
just let the peace just shower over us, right? Now, when we light this candle, all of those little sayings are true. We, of course, we want relational peace. Of course, we want peace on earth. Of course, we want peace and quiet. But when we light this candle, we're not just talking about uh, little pieces of peace. We're not just talking about little ways that we want to see peace in our world. When we light this candle, we're actually talking about a much bigger word. We're talking about a much bigger dynamic when we talk about peace. And in order to kind of capture that, you really need to look at the original language. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. It's shalom. And, and there's a lot of different nuances to how this word is used in the Bible. But to give you a quick kind of takeaway summary, just something that you can memorize easily, shalom can be best defined as completeness, wholeness, or just a soundness to what is happening in your life and in the creation around you. And, and we, we translate this word in English to peace but when you go through that process, it actually means about 20 different types of peace that you can experience. And so it does mean peace from war, and it does mean uh, you know, peace from strife in relationships. It means a peace between you and God so that there can be a connection and an intimate connection between you and God. It means peace in your finances, provision, security, and things like that. It means this all-encompassing idea of peace. And at its core, it really means that that peace is you functioning with the creation around you in the way that God originally intended you to function. For you to operate and function in this world according to the original design of how humanity and creation would work with one another. And the best place to find this biblically is actually in the Garden of Eden before sin. Before sin entered into the world, you look at the Garden of Eden and there's perfect relationships. There's perfect connection between mankind and God. There's, there's even a connection between man and beast. It's more like Chronicles of Narnia than maybe the Nat Geo shows that you would watch today where everything's hunting everything. Right? This kind of shalom and this kind of wholeness and completeness functioning perfectly the way that it was designed to function. Of course, before sin entered the picture. But sin did enter the picture. And when that happened and, and we began to turn from God, we began to live our lives the way that, that we wanted to live our lives, it fractured our relationship with God and it fractured our relationship with creation. And all of a sudden we began to choose our own ways instead of God ways. And the result of that, it says in Genesis 3, was that a curse like entered into the created order. That paradise as we knew it was now lost. And the promised peace and shalom that we once had was now broken. And now today we're left experiencing the results of that broken shalom. And it doesn't take you very long to realize how this is impacting your life. There's stress and anxiety and fractured relationships. We're, we're not experiencing that peace that was talked about before the fall of man. Now, are you stressed? Are you anxious? Maybe I should say, how are you stressed? How are you anxious? When does anger just crop up? Or, or do you live this life in just kind of a, a perpetual sense of feeling out of control, that, that you're always on your heels, always backing up? You can never catch up and lay hold of this idea of peace in your life. These are all signs of a fractured shalom, all signs of this fractured Peace, and they date back to 
the Garden of Eden when we lost this shalom that we so desperately need. But what happens in our lives is that we don't go back to the original problem. We don't go back to the original root. Instead, we often blame things on that list or, or fill in the blank if you have other things. We often blame those things on that list as, a, as, the res, as a, really the result of brokenness instead of going back to the original root. And so we say things like, oh, honey, I, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. Work is just really stressful right now. If work wasn't so stressful, then I wouldn't have yelled at you. And we, we blame the outcome of the fractured peace and shalom instead of actually going back to the original issue, right? We, we say things like, like, if you two could just get along this Christmas and stop your bickering, then everyone around you would have a great holiday too. And we blame the list instead of the root. Even today, like social media has taken this to a whole nother level. We'll take a picture of ourselves wearing something nice and Christmassy. We'll post it online and we'll check it insistently every 15 minutes. And if there's not enough likes or hearts or smiley faces and comments about how amazing we look, we get anxious and stressed. And we ask ourselves, do people even like me anymore? That's how we respond. Right? Like internally, we, we work ourselves up into this anxious and stressful idea and we don't know what's taking place. All from a picture that we posted that's not getting enough thumbs up. We do this. I don't know why we do this, but we do it to ourselves. And then we look at this list of anxiety, stress, anger, feeling out of control, and we begin to blame that. We blame those things almost like they're the opposite of peace, right? It's, it's almost like we believe, in fact, I bet if we pulled the room right now, the top word that would describe the opposite of peace, we would get things like chaos or war or disorganization. Anxiety maybe would be high on the list, but biblically, they would use a different word. Biblically, they would use a different word to explain the opposite of peace. They wouldn't use stress or anxiety. They wouldn't use anger or feeling out of control. Biblically, they would actually use the word ra, ra, R-A, which is translated in English, evil. Now that hits home in a little bit of a different way because it's not, it's not maybe the stress that's making you Yell! It's this little slice of evil that just needs to be worked on and healed and ministered to by God. See, in ancient Hebrew literature, that's how they would actually describe the opposite of peace. It's not anxiety. It's not war. It would be evil. And when you think about it, just for a minute, it, it makes a lot of sense because in the Garden of Eden, anxiety didn't stress Eve to rebel from God. Evil did. Right? Anger between Adam and Eve didn't cause them to, to disagree on things. It, it was evil that tempted that. Right? It wasn't a, a sense or a feeling of being out of control that made humanity turn their back on God. It was evil that did that. And so that's where a lot of this idea comes from, that really a better word to describe the opposite of peace, not stress, not anxiety, but evil. Now, with this newfound knowledge that I've enlightened you with this morning, I would not recommend walking around the workplace saying, you know, my boss is just evil. 
That's, that's, why, that's why there's so much anxiety around here in the office. It's probably not going to work very well for you. I, I wouldn't recommend going home and telling your kids that you're going to take their phones away unless they eradicated the evil from their lives, right? Like it's probably not going to be a very good Christmas for you if you, if you take that route. But, but when you think about it, you look around the world, it, it becomes pretty obvious that evil is quite pervasive. That evil is all around us. That evil will actively try to steal the peace that, that Christ wants to offer you this Christmas. That evil would love to just come in and twist those screws and create this division to fracture the peace that Jesus came to offer you. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear for how evil is surrounding us because as Isaac Watts wrote 300 years ago, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And when you look at the third verse that Isaac Watts wrote and put together for us, it's kind of of telling us we don't need to worry, we don't need to be afraid of this curse. We don't have to be afraid of evil because Christ has come. In fact, fix your eyes on his return. He is going to come back again and make all things right. We don't have to live in the result of Adam and Eve's original sin. We don't have to live in the result of our own fractured and experience of evil today. We can trust in the peace that Christ has come to offer us. These are the words from verse three that Isaac Watts wrote in this song, Joy to the World. And I thought Matt did a beautiful job of singing these last week. I am not gonna do that. That would uh, just create pain in this room all the way around, no joy. So I'm just gonna say them. You can sing them quietly in your head if you would like to. This is what Isaac Watts wrote in verse three. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. As far as this curse has flowed, as far as evil has tried to rob your peace, the blessings of Christ will flow in all of these places. Jesus truly came to reverse this curse and make all things right, and he will come again to usher in a new era of complete and whole peace. But you can experience some of that today. You can experience that peace today. It's not just kind of hold on and brace yourself until he returns. You can begin living in to that peace today. Isaiah 9, 6, we already read this when the Villers lit the candle of peace, but I want to read it again. I think it's a beautiful Christmas verse. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's kind of sitting in authority over this idea of peace and offering it to us today. And I love this verse because it's one of the ways that he wants to show up in our lives as the Prince of Peace. 
It's a lot like another verse, maybe a, a lesser common verse during Christmas, but a Christmas verse nonetheless when you look at the context and, and what's happening. It's in Micah 5, specifically Micah 5, verse 5. And, and again, Micah is writing about the coming of Christ. And in Micah 5, 5, this is what he says. He says, and he, speaking of Jesus, will be the source of peace. He'll be the source of peace. So not only is Jesus the Prince of Peace, if you'll allow him, if you'll lean into him this Christmas season, he can also be the very source of peace that your heart is aching for, that your heart is, is breaking for, really, the, the, that your heart needs to experience. Jesus will be the source of of your peace. And listen, this Christmas, it doesn't take a, a, a brainiac to realize that our culture and our world is going to try to pull you off of the source and offer you all kinds of counterfeit substitutes this holiday season in order for you to find your peace. There's no end to substitutes that our world will try to offer you. And I, and I know these, as I'm sure many of you do, because I've tried many of them myself. And so some of us are, are drawn to this idea of, of, of materialism and needing more things. And, and so we, we try to buy more and consume more with this idea that, that no matter how much stuff we have under the tree, we need more because if we have more, we'll find this internal contentment and peace that will finally calm our anxiety. Some of you might be tempted to, to, to different substances this Christmas in order to find your peace. And so, you know, you'll just feel the temptation if you just drink a little bit more, if you'll just smoke a little bit more, if you'll just use a little bit more, then that anxiety and that, and that stress that's just tightened up like a ball in your gut will finally unravel. You'll be able to sleep. You'll be able to find the peace that, that so eludes you this holiday season. Some of us feel out of control and so we might be tempted to run nonstop this Christmas season and organize not only our lives, but every other life that touches and impacts our life. That if we could just make the decorations perfect and the tree perfect and we can get our dog groomed with a little Christmas bow tie and take that nice picture and send it to everyone on our Christmas card list, then we'll find this internal peace that we're so desperate for. But what happens with that is you just get on this treadmill that the world has created and you just start running and you never stop until you collapse. Our culture and our world is trying to give you answers to a problem in your heart that only Jesus can solve. That only Jesus can be the answer for. He is the Prince of Peace. And he will be your source of peace this Christmas. I think an important question that we need to reflect on this morning is, is how do you need to experience peace this Christmas? How do you, specifically you personally, need to experience peace this Christmas? I'm sure just a, a, a small amount of thinking, you can think of two or three areas in your own life where you need this kind of peace. You need to experience the peace of Christ in your heart and in your life this holiday season. And I, you know, it's sometimes can be quite overwhelming to even address those things, look at those things, and, and, and try to figure out what to do. There's a lot of different things that you can do to press into experiencing God's peace this Christmas. I want to give you one really practical idea. It's so practical that I've like both loved and hated it at the same time. 
right? The, the practical tip that you can walk away with is just to simply play the opposite game this Christmas. Just play the opposite game this Christmas. This is what I mean. If your calendar, if all of a sudden you look at your calendar and you realize that there's just more and more and more and more being put on your calendar and it doesn't look like there's gonna be a single day of just nothing to do until about mid-January, then you need to play the opposite game and you need to schedule some time for just you and Jesus alone this Christmas season. Take your Bible, take some worship music, go on a hike, go skiing, go do something for just you and Jesus. Maybe start a fire, drink a couple of cups of coffee and listen to to some music or, or, or read or just check out for a little bit and take care of your heart. Some of you need to schedule a nap for real, a holy nap. And just put it in your calendar, holy nap time. If you don't schedule it, I bet, I bet that time will be taken from you if you don't schedule it. So take a nap, play the opposite game. Don't feel like you always have to be on that treadmill of what's next this Christmas season. I'm telling you between the office parties and your own parties and family and everything going on, Take some time for just you and Jesus and play that opposite game. If it's gifts and toys and you just know that's kind of what you're going to probably be tempted to lean into, then give something away. If it's Netflix, read. Right? If it's social media, take some time to pray. Play that opposite game this Christmas season. Lately for me, it's, it's been control. It's been control. If you haven't figured this out, I'm kind of a type A personality. I like things done a specific kind of way, which happens to be my way most of the time, right? And I also like them done in a, done in a timely manner. I like them done when I want them to be done so I can move on to the next thing and of course, accomplish more things, right? And I'm realizing pretty quickly that this is a recipe for disaster, not only in my life, but, but everyone else's life that, that I do life with. And so I need to work on this issue. And a, and a great mentor of mine, a couple months ago, I, I was kind of talking about this with him and he said, you know what you need to do? You just need to act helpless. I said, I, I, already, I don't know what you're talking about, but I already don't like it. <laughs> act helpless, that sounds miserable. And he said, no, when, when someone comes to you and they say, you know, Jeff, this is what we got to do. I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. My tendency is to just say, just give it to me. Just put on my plate of responsibilities. I'll take care of it, right? I'll do more. I, I, I can stay up tonight after the kids are asleep and I can do more. And, and I, this is kind of the tendency that sometimes I can lean into. And, and this mentor of mine, so you just need to be helpless. Just respond instead and say, gosh, that sounds like a really big issue. I don't know what we're going to do. What do you think we should do? And of course, when he said that, my anxiety already started to rise up. Like, what are you talking about? I'm used to just doing that. It's like, yeah, it's just not going to work for you anymore. <laughs> See, I love it and I hate it at the same time, right? Like some of us need to give up control. Some of us need to walk away from all the decisions and begin trusting people to make a great decision that were around you. And asking Jesus' peace to come and fill that little spot in your heart, that little substitute of controlling things that might feel like it's offering you peace, but in reality it's not. Play the opposite. Is this making sense? Kind of press into some of these areas where you would naturally go and play the opposite game this Christmas. This Christmas, you're just going to be tempted with all kinds of substitutes. You're going to be tempted with all kinds of counterfeit ways to find 
the peace of Christ. And let me urge you and encourage you this morning that instead of buying what the world is trying to sell you, run to scripture, run to prayer, worship God, gather in community, surround yourself in an atmosphere that will draw you towards Christ, not a worldly answer. How do you need to experience the peace of Christ this Christmas? I think it's a really, really important question for us to ask this morning. But there's a second question, a, a second question I feel compelled to ask you because it's not just about your peace, although that's incredibly important, right? If you're a follower of Christ, it, it, it's about you being centered and rooted and grounded in the peace and love of Christ, but it, it's about something else too. It's about you being an instrument of peace to the world around you. You know, each and every one of us, if, if we're a follower of Christ, Jesus is asking us to be a missionary in whatever context we're in. And so I think a second question needs to be asked this morning. How can you be an instrument of peace this Christmas? Yes, you need to ask, how do I need to experience peace of Christ myself this holiday season? But, but the second question is also very important. How can you be an instrument of peace this Christmas? How can you partner with what God is doing? How can you join God's mission to transform all things, which means offering peace and offering this idea of shalom to the world that's fractured and broken all around you? Sometimes we mistakenly believe that bringing peace to others means entering into a room where there's anxiety and stress and just being like the most chill person that walks into that room. Like if somehow I can just maintain my zen-like vibiness, I'll walk into a room and my peace will just ooze out on everybody else. That I can just like sit on the sidelines and be, be passively a person of peace and somehow it will magically change the atmosphere. And I do think that peace is somewhat contagious, similar to the way anxiety is contagious. But I think Jesus is inviting us into more. I think he might be challenging some of us in a deeper way to say, don't just passively try to pass that peace on. Instead, actively engage with what God is doing and be an instrument of peace this holiday season. Be an instrument of peace this Christmas. In order to bring this type of biblical peace, this type of biblical shalom to the world around us that's sometimes riddled with evil, you're going to have to take a, an active participatory role. I love this prayer from St. Francis. He wrote it many years ago, but it was, his own, uh, it was his own prayer of peace. And I think it, it just lands really where, well for what we're talking about this morning. This is the prayer that he penned. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I might not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Make me an instrument of peace. Bringing peace requires active participation in the kingdom of God. It means looking to see what the Father is doing and having the faith to step in and to join him in that work. 
It's about offering love instead of consuming it. It's about seeking to understand instead of always demanding that we be understood. Being an instrument of peace is about forgiving others as much as it is about being forgiven ourselves. It's about giving more than receiving. I think it's a beautiful prayer that we can pray from time to time this Christmas season. It's not about being super chill and relaxed and maintaining this internal peace. It's about actually offering it to the people around you, initiating with the world around you from the source of peace, Christ himself. I look at that prayer and I I think about my own life. I think, man, I wish I would have known this prayer 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I was reflecting on Christmas season as I was writing this message and and uh, a story just about, about 15 years ago, probably one of the worst Christmases I had ever been a part of. Um, it, was the, it was the first Christmas after my parents got divorced. And if you've, if you've been part of a Christmas or a holiday after a divorce, and it can be a really hard, it can be a really hard Christmas. And I'll never, I'll never forget, I'll never forget this year. Like I said, about 15 years ago, I was, I was in my 20s, and there's just a level of pain that was in the room. And when we encounter this pain, you know, people respond to pain in all kinds of different ways, and we had the whole gamut. People were responding, you know, all over the board with this level of pain that was just kind of present in everyone's life. And as we gather, now you have a whole bunch of individuals who are dealing with this in different ways, all in a confined space, all around one table, all around one holiday. And it was, I mean, it didn't take very long for like a major family blow up to happen. And, and I, I don't mean like, like when I say fight, like we, we argued, not, I'm talking like a legit fight. People were yelling, there was name calling, there were lies being spewed all over the place. It even got to the point where it got physical. And I remember thinking, just watching this thinking, is this, is this, what, is this who we are now as a family? Is this what we've come to? That this is like my new reality? Is this who we really want to be? And then, and then I remember watching, it's just strange, you know those moments where you can like, almost like picture and imagine the story and how it took place. I, I, I can remember certain people in my family just totally disengaging and checking out and just sitting completely, like actually on the sidelines. And this whole thing was going down. And it was as if they were saying, as long as I can keep my internal peace, then I'm not gonna let anything else affect me. I'm not gonna get involved. I'm not gonna let this bother because I need to keep my peace I remember thinking, that's not actually helping anything right now. Like staying disengaged, almost like keeping your heart this far away so that it doesn't get messed with it. That's not actually helping the the chaos that's ensuing in our family right now. And I remember thinking, I've got to do something. I've got to get up and do something. And so I was already so uncomfortable, but I felt like I needed to take another step into this, this discomfort and get in the middle of this situation and physically had to do something. I had to physically break up this fight. 
and needed to be an instrument of peace in that moment because there wasn't going to be an answer if I just sat there and did nothing. It was just going to continue to be who we are. We don't want to be that family. Thankfully, we're not that family anymore, but you know, those memories are, are etched, are etched in. Maybe, maybe as I share that story, some of you are remembering your own stories of family Christmases that you'd just rather forget about. Or, or, or maybe your anxiety is starting to spin because you think that that Christmas might be this Christmas and you're only a couple of weeks away from, from really just bracing for impact. How could you be an instrument of peace in those moments this Christmas? Or, or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we can thank God together because maybe that's not your experience. Maybe you've never had one of those family blowups before. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've been around enough families, really good ones and really bad ones, to realize there's kind of dysfunction in almost any family. Like, if we're just being honest, Right? Because when you, when you take a whole bunch of broken people and you put them all in one living room, that's just a lot of stuff to go awry. We all have our little hidden skeletons. We all have these topics in our families that are like, do not approach this topic. Because again, it might set somebody off. How in those places could you be an instrument of peace? And not, and not just like refuse to be engaged, not just like retreat into silent mode, but actually usher in the very love and peace of Christ that he has deposited in your heart as the, as the source of peace. How could you do that this Christmas? Finally, I think there's at least some of us that might not see any family this Christmas. For whatever reason, it, it's just going to be you. You won't see your immediate family. You won't see extended family. And, it, and it's just going to be you this Christmas. I, I think the same question applies to you, just maybe a little differently. Instead of the family context, just look at the city around you. Just look at your workplace. Just look at your friendships. Just look at the world. We live, we live in a time where there's a lot of fractured relationships. We live in a time where it is easy to experience evil. How in those places might God be inviting you to be an instrument of peace this Christmas? Let's pray together.